In the Employment Hour here with Lior and myself, we're going to hang out for the hour, answer your questions. It is Lior at employmenthour.com and 1-855-821-5900. Being off work, you've been let go. You've got a severance package in front of you and a, a million other things we talk about here each week. But we always start with the week that was. We do. One, one of these days will confuse everyone. I won't start with that and no one's yeah. going to understand. We're going to end the show with it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's going to be confused. Complete chaos. No madness. Anarchy. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. <laughs> That's right. It's going to be crazy. But, yeah. but today's not that day. No. Today we We'll start with the week that was. So welcome, everyone, to the show. Happy to be here and answer all your questions. Lay it on us. Give us a call. Here to talk. But let me start with a couple of cases. Both of them came from uh, Ottawa this week. As, John, as you know, my law firm, we have an office in Ottawa yep. as well as our offices in the GTA. So these two cases uh, came from Ottawa. In the first one, uh, the individual has worked as a, as a machine operator in a manufacturing facility. So classic laborer-type position, operating a machine, not a manager, doing the same job, working a ton of hours a week, and been doing that for about eight years. A few weeks ago, he was let go. Well, so far, fairly normal situation. But what's the twist here? Well, the twist is that that for the entire eight uh, years, he was treated as an independent contractor. Now, this is a machine operator, John, really. So the company says, well, you're an independent contractor, so you don't have to get any severance. We don't have to pay you anything, so so long, farewell. Well, now, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know that this is ridiculous. At law, there's just no way that this person is an independent contractor. He's an employee. An independent contractor is someone that's in business for himself. He makes uh, their own hours. Uh, he has multiple clients. He doesn't work for eight years. None of that applies to this person. So it doesn't matter that he's given the title of an independent contractor. Uh, the reality of the relationship is what matters. So this person is an employee. With eight years of service, he is 61 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's going to have a heck of a time finding another physical job because he's getting up there in age. So he probably gets around 10 months of severance. Now, he made over $65,000 last year, so we're talking about quite a bit of compensation that he is owed. So remember, this whole concept of having a title of an independent contractor, a lot of people say, well, wait a second, I'm I'm calling myself or treating myself as an independent contractor, I guess that means I don't get anything. Nonsense, it's not even close. Really, the reality on the ground is what matters. The title is irrelevant. Uh, If you're an employee because that's how you act, that's how you operate, that's the type of relationship that you have with the company, that you're an employee and you get severance. It's amazing. You're working in, in a factory setting on their equipment. Yeah. Day in, day. How, how would they even... It's nonsense. Would they even try that? And no. And, and, you know, and I, I assume that the employer in that case believes that this person is an independent contractor because on paper they treated him that, uh, that way for the, all these years. But it doesn't make him that and he gets severance. He may work independently... Yeah, because well, <laughs> he operates it, right? the machine. No one's helping him operate yeah, exactly, the machine. Right. Well, let me tell you about another case. And this is the type of case that I see often. People getting the wrong advice because they speak to someone that doesn't practice employment law. Now, in this case, the lady that had called me this week had worked in an admin position for 35 years. Hey-o. She was in the late, uh, late 50s. The employer let her go and provided a severance offer, or not severance payment, saying, we're going to pay you for eight months, okay? And eight months only. If you find a job during these eight months, we're going to cut you off. So you got eight months to find that job, we'll pay you, and that's that. Now, this lady felt, for obvious reasons, that eight months would not be appropriate. And she's right. After 35 years, in fact, she'd be owed 24 months of severance. So she saw a lawyer in Ottawa when, when this happened, and they told her, well, no, no, you have to wait eight months before you can do anything about this. You have to wait the eight months that the employer is paying you, and only then can you do something about your matter. 
So she waited eight months. Oh boy. Uh, that brings us to now. She couldn't find another job in this period of time. So now she has to deal with, this, with her former employer. Well, why is this bad? Because she did not have to wait eight months. She could have easily resolved this matter back when it happened. In, in as little as a few weeks or maybe three months, this would have resolved. And that would have assured her she, that she would not be without income right now. So now we have to deal with her employer and deal with her matter. But in the meantime, she's not going to have any income until this gets resolved. So she still has to pay her mortgage. She still has to pay her bills. So the, the, the lesson here is speak with an employment lawyer, please. Someone that specializes in this. You're not going to speak with an eye doctor if you have a heart problem. No. Speak with an employment lawyer if you have an employment issue. And uh, Lior's number anytime, one 821 5900 Lior at employmenthour.com. Lots more of the show coming up. And if you're too bashful to give us a call, you can email Lior, Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com and one 821 5900 Before we get to our uh, first call of the day, let's get into this. Things that can get you fired for cause and things that cannot. Yes, things that cannot and things that can. Now, one of the most common uh, types of scenarios or is that I see in my practice, one of the uh, most common calls that I get is from people that have been let go for cause. So the employer is alleging that they did something bad, something awful, that justified letting them go for cause. Right. And because of it was cause, the employer says, we don't have to pay you severance. We don't have to compensate you. Now, I've said this before, and I'm not going to get into it in detail, but I'll say that it's extremely difficult to terminate someone for cause. The employee has to have done something awful, something terrible uh, to, to, be, you know, uh, get, to be able to get that type of punishment. And most employers pull the trigger way before they should, so that makes it a wrongful dismissal. They let the employee go when there's really no cause, and they haven't paid them. So what we're going to talk about today is the types of situation that are going to be caused, the types of situations that, yes, the employer can let you go without severance, and type of situations where that cannot happen. Okay. So uh, let's talk about something that uh, will get you fired for cause. So f- one of the a classic, you know, is violence or threats of violence. So if you uh, were violent in the workplace, unless you're defending yourself, but if you acted violently, violently to, towards someone, that is a big deal, and that can let you, it can terminate your employment for cause. An employer has an obligation to protect other employees in the workplace to ensure a safe workplace. So if there's an employee there that's guilty of violence, uh, this is the type of conduct an employer doesn't have to tolerate, even if it happens once, and the employer can terminate employment. Now, if it's a very, very minor thing, fine. But if it's serious violence or a serious incident, that will let uh, will allow the employer to let the employee go for cause. This one seems kind of obvious, but how about sexual harassment? Yeah, another one of those sins that, you know, if the employee is guilty of it, then the employer can terminate for cause. Remember, though, John, the employer ultimately is the one that has to prove the conduct. So it's not enough the employer to say, well, wait a second, I believe you're, you're guilty of violence right. or sexual harassment or what have you. In fact, the employee has to have done that, and the employer is the one that has to prove it. The employee doesn't have to disprove it. But sexual harassment, yes, and, and that's a fairly broad area. But if you are guilty of sexual harassment, that would be cause, and, and that is a type of conduct that an employer does not have to tolerate, and the employer would be able to let you go for cause in those situations. First, we get to Jim. Hi, Jim. How are you? Good. How are you? Okay, Pa, you got a question for Lior. Go ahead. Yes, hi. My wife's been employed in retail in a sales position for about eight years. The last four years have been full-time in a management position. She's always received positive feedback. She's been asked to succeed and take higher positions, which she hasn't, and she's received a lot of recognition awards. A week ago, we had a new district man, or she had a new district manager come in who presented her with a discipline letter, and the majority of the letter 
99% of it is subjective in nature with some falsified information on it. And she's asked, told my wife that another meeting is scheduled in a month. So a couple questions. Does my wife have to sign the discipline letters because we feel this is, they want to terminate her out of the position to put somebody else in the position? And if she's confronted and told her position is going to be eliminated, uh, reduced to part-time, does she have to sign anything? Okay, uh, Jim, thanks for the questions. Very important question. Happy to answer them. So first of all, with respect to the disciplinary letter itself, uh, the only thing she should sign is if it is an acknowledgement that she's received the copy. Not that she agrees, not that she uh, says that it's correct, only that she received the copy. So you have to see what you're signing. It may say at the bottom, by signing here, you've acknowledged that you've received it. That's fine. Or if it says by signing here, you acknowledge that the following facts are correct and you're going to correct your behavior, that's not fine. Because if she doesn't agree with what's in the letter, she can't sign that, she, that it's correct. What I want her to do, either way, whether she signs it or not, is I want her to do an email or a letter to her employer stating exactly why she doesn't agree with what's in the letter. She has to put her position in writing. So I would go item by item and say, you know, you say that on June 15th, I did this. Well, here's what actually happened. So go item by item, provide a response, stick to the facts, and provide that response. Now, if her position is terminated, okay, if, if she's not guilty of some awful, awful misconduct, that would be a termination without cause, which means she gets severance. Remember, Jim, that they have a right to let her go at any time and for any reason, as long as they pay her proper severance. If they say, well, we think your conduct is so bad and we can let you go for cause and not pay you severance, that is not legal and that would make it a wrongful dismissal. So if that happens, she needs to give me a call. I want to talk to her and I want to find out exactly what happened and make sure that if she was offered severance, that it's appropriate. So the bottom line is she should not sign any letter of termination without speaking to me first. Jim, good call and uh, right on topic with what we're talking about. And for this half, we're talking about the things that, uh, yes, they will get you fired for cause. Uh, we talked about threats of violence, sexual harassment. How about theft? Yeah, you know, theft, again, very fundamental. And listen, all these things we're talking about that can uh, result in a termination for cause are, go to the heart and nature of the employment relationship. You know, if, you, if you're stealing from your employer, well, guess what? That employer doesn't have to tolerate that. The employer doesn't have to say, well, it only happened one time, so it's okay. Uh, it, it's fundamental. If the employer cannot trust the employee, there's just no possibility of, of uh, salvaging that relationship, and that employer can terminate for cause. But again, what, what have we said so far, John? Violence, sexual harassment, theft, all these things are very, very severe, significant types of misconduct, and it's this type of misconduct, that level of misconduct, that can result in cause. How about fraud? Yeah, you know, fraud and, and can take many aspects. So falsifying documents, okay. uh, for example, or, or doing something that you're not supposed to and lying about it uh, and, and hurting your employer in that sense. Yes, if it goes to the nature of the relationship, if, it, if the fraud is such, and now the employer cannot trust this employee objectively, the employee cannot be trusted, then that is cause. Yes, because an employer cannot employ an employee that by virtue of the employee's conduct, that employee uh, cannot be trusted. So fraud, yes, is, is, is a big deal, so long as it's not minor, of course, and so long as the employer can actually prove 
that the employee did it. And this may speak to uh, to going back, to, like you said, to f- uh, keeping you know counterpoints, documented references, keep your own points about what happened. How about repeated offenses? Yeah, and you know, and we'll talk about things that cannot uh, let you go, cannot result in a termination uh, for cause. Uh, but uh, usually, when we're talking about isolated incidents, they're not going to be cause. So. What what would be cause if you were uh, you know a repeat offender? So if you have many incidents of misconduct, if the employer can show that you've done these things and that they tried to do something about it. So first incident they talk to you about it. Second incident incident they give you a warning. Maybe then a suspension. Eventually that employer can put up its hands and say, well, what more can we do with this bad employee? We're going to let them go for cause. So repeated serious offenses that are documented and where the employer has done other things by way of discipline, can result in a termination for cause. Lior at employmenthour.com, and his number is one 821 5900 Lots more of the Employment Hour coming up on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. In the meantime, you can email Lior at employmenthour.com. We just talked about things that can get you fired for cause, like uh, violence, threats of violence, sexual harassment, theft, fraud, repeated offenses. Let's flip over to no. And this is uh, the ones that most often on the show come into play because people get uh, they get canned for things they really shouldn't have. For instance, isolated incidents like poor performance. Right. Yeah. And, and so let's talk about that. And, and most of the people that call me, I want to make it clear. We, we started uh, this topic by talking about things that can result in a termination for cause. Uh, and, and usually those are fairly obvious. Theft, violence, fraud, etc. But most cases are not that, that, that obvious. And most people that call me when, in fact, they were let go supposedly for cause... Really, the employer does not have cause. And, and probably the, the, the most uh, common of those is a situation where the employee did something wrong. Clearly, the employee did, but it's an isolated incident. It's a one-time thing. Either uh, the employee screwed up on a particular job or project, or the employee did something they're not supposed to. Maybe they used some language they weren't supposed to. In any case, one incident, out of character. There's no long history of that. And the employer says, aha, you did this, you screwed up, you're out. You're out. We're going to let you go for cause. Well, that's not legal, okay? Uh, that is not cause. Our Supreme Court of Canada, the highest court in this country, said years ago that except with extreme situations like violence and theft, mm-hmm. etc., an isolated incident, so an incident, a one-time incident, is not ever going to be cause, okay? So you could have screwed up pretty badly, but if it's one, one incident, it's not cause, and the employer then... Uh, cannot let you go for cause. Now, I want to say one other thing about cause, and that is cause is an all-or-nothing type of a proposition. There's no such thing as, well, it's kind of cause, so it's okay. Right. Uh, it's kind of like being kind of pregnant. doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So really, either the employer has cause at 100% or the employer does not have cause at all. And an isolated incident is almost never going to be cause. So what about poor performance if it's, it's got to be uh, dated performance, like over weeks, months, yeah. years? It is common to see people that are let go for poor performance, supposedly for cause. Now, it's extremely difficult for an employer to let someone go for cause for poor performance. Ultimately, what the employer would have to do is, number one, show that the poor performance was uh, over a period of a fairly long uh, time, that the employer tried to rectify that problem. So maybe offered help, maybe offered training. When that didn't work, the employer started disciplining, uh, warning, suspensions, and the employee can simply not get it, and that poor performance continues. And then we get to that point where the employer says, what more can I do? So unless the employer can show all those things, poor performance is not cause. The employer can still choose to let the employee go, but that would be a termination without cause, which means the employee gets full severance. Hi, Karen. How are you? Hi. I want 
wanted to ask, I have a niece who works for a company, and out of school she applied for a job, and she was um, dishonest about her designation and her completion of a college program. Now, she's progressing with this company. She's doing a great job. Uh, you know, she's, she's moving up the, the ladder. But if they were to discover at some point that that was not true, can they fire her? And, and you know, it's a good question. I've dealt with this situation before on a few occasions. Here's my, my best answer. Ultimately, if uh, the, the thing that she lied about was something that's important and necessary for the job. So, for example, uh, if she, she got a job in marketing and she said that she has a background in nursing, just as an example, that may not be relevant. Uh, on the other hand, if she's getting a job in marketing and she said she had a marketing designation and it turns out she does not, yes, she yeah. absolutely can be terminated for that. Uh, that, that. That would be a problem and, and there's not much anyone can do in that situation. So it really comes down to how relevant uh, that, that lie, if you will, is. No, so her performance wouldn't be relevant because right now they're acknowledging that she's doing a great job. She's been pro- promoted twice. In the last five years. Yeah, and, and I'll say this. The longer she works for the company, the less of an issue potentially that would become. But again, if, if we you know we're only looking for people with this designation, that's why we hired you. Because we wouldn't even have looked at you if, you, if we knew you yeah. didn't have that right. designation. That employer can't, can let her go. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so really, but the longer she works, potentially this becomes more difficult. Uh, I still think, though, that unless she's been there for 20 years and, and she lied about something important, that that could come by to uh, to be an issue, come back to be an issue if she's found out. But if she's you know doing such a good job and promoted twice, it's almost like if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? That's right. There's and a chance they might not care. They might know. They might not even care. That's right. Point, I mean, right? I, I certainly never never advise anyone to lie, but in this situation, it may be better to just let sleeping dogs lie and hope for the best. Termination for cause uh, when it doesn't uh, get to the level. How about being late. Yeah, and you know, many times, how many times do, you, do, do we have situations or in my practice where someone's let go because they were late and the employer got upset? So now, let me make it clear. I am not saying that being late is no big deal. I am not saying that being late is something that an employee should do. Obviously, if we have a, a responsibility to be at work at a certain time, then we should be at work at that time. That said, that's not the question. The question is, is it cause? And it's not cause unless the employer can show a long pattern of being late, if the employer can show that they've engaged in other discipline to, uh, to, to try to correct it, and only then maybe it could be cause. So here, here's the flip side. So let's say someone is late fairly regularly, and okay. the employer is not happy, but the employer doesn't do anything about it. One day, the employee continues to be late, and the employer says, now I've had enough. Yeah. Now I'm going to let you go. But because the employer has not done anything about that over time, the employers almost seem to have condoned the behavior. So it's going to be very, very difficult to let the employee go for cause. So most of the time, being late, which is something that employers often terminate supposedly for cause, really is not cause. So if you're in that situation, you probably have been wrongfully dismissed and you get compensation. Again, this all goes back to keeping records. Keeping right? records, extremely yeah. important. On both sides, employer and employee. Right. But and it, remember, the employer is the one that has to prove cause. So right. their records are the most important. And if they don't have that, if they don't have their ducks in a row, they're not going to be able to terminate for cause. How about insubordination? You know, insubordination, again, another issue where if we're looking at an isolated incident or fairly minor incidents, it's not cause. It's never going to be cause. An isolated incident of insubordination 
not a good thing, but not cause either. All right. So uh, a lot of employers may fly off the handle. You you were insubordinate. You you didn't do what I told you to do, and I'm very upset about that. There's no excuse. I'm gonna let you go for cause. That's not cause. Okay. Cause re- requires more of a of an in, in, uh, issue than that. So if you're uh, guilty of insubordination, again, I'm not trying to say that's not a big deal. But it's not caused, certainly not if it's an isolated incident. And again, a reminder, whether you're on the yes or no column in this whole conversation, they can let you go anytime they want with compensation. Right. right. The employer may say, I'm not happy, but it's not caused, so I'm going to let you go with compensation. That is legal. Lior at employmenthour.com and is number 1-855-821-5900. You can use that anytime to get more information and speak with him directly. We're going to return with more of the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. I want to get into this. This is understanding the duty to accommodate. I'm not talking about when you're driving home, I want the air conditioning on, Lior. So you have <laughs> no, to accommodate no, not me. <laughs> no. It's a different type of accommodation. It is that. It is that, Johnny. So, you know, accommodation, usually when we're talking about accommodation, uh, not always, but usually we're talking about someone that may have a disability, a medical condition that uh, requires some assistance from the employer. Well, so, we talked about this last hour in length with Savannah. Exactly. Right? So the same situation, someone uh, is disabled, maybe now they're able to return to work, but they can't necessarily do the work that they had before. Uh, that they were doing before. And the question is, well, what what are their rights and what are the employer's obligations? Now, that's one type of accommodation. We'll talk more. But there's other types of accommodation that uh, one may be entitled to. For example, if there's family obligations that may prevent you from working certain hours for a period of time, the employer may have to accommodate you by giving you a more flexible schedule. So that's some of the things I want to touch on in this uh, next couple of segments. Who who has a right to be accommodated? Well, usually the, the people that have a right to be accommodated, certainly as it relates to medical conditions, are the one where a doctor is saying, this person needs accommodation. This person is not able to do the job at 100% or 100% of the time. They need accommodation. So that's who tr- who, where the duty to accommodate is triggered uh, for medical conditions. So it's not up for the employee to say, my um, physical condition is such that I need accommodation. It has to come from a doctor. Now, with respect to non-medical accommodation, the employee still has to establish that they have some sort of a, a right that has to be accommodated. So if there's a medical, sorry, if there's a, a family situation, the employer may be entitled to get some information about what that family situation is. If it's religious accommodation, for example. So I need to, to give me a, a, a schedule where I can leave Friday by a certain time so I can be home for the Sabbath, for example. Sure. Uh, so that's a form of accommodation. So the employer may say, okay, well, how do I know really that you practice that religion? Maybe I'm going to get something from your minister, your rabbi, what have you. Uh, ultimately, it's up to the employee to provide the employer with the information necessary to prove that accommodation is required. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell phone. Got uh, Chris. You have a question for Lior. Go ahead, pal. Hi there. Um, I have uh, a company that I work for, an IT company, uh, IT consulting, and I also have a graphic design business, uh, personal business. Um, and I responded to my, my uh, company's email by accident with my business signature because I have both emails on my phone. I got written up for it. Um, they said I shouldn't be engaging in another, uh, another job that may conflict with, um, with the uh, business that they're engaging in. Yes. And I just want to know if that's a valid reason for them to write me up since it's not, um, it's not even the same industry. 
Yeah, I was going to say, do they mean hours-wise or do they well, mean the actual business? It, it, you know, here's my view on this, uh, Chris. My view is if you're working for a company, certainly while you're on company time, while they're paying you, you shouldn't be doing work for your own business or for someone else, even if it's completely and utterly unrelated. Uh, on the other hand, if you don't, so let's say you work for your for an employer 9 to 5 and you work 6 to 10 on your business or weekends or what have you, that's different. So they have yeah. a right to expect that while they're paying you from 9 to 5 or whatever it is, you're not going to do anything other than work for them. The email that I replied to was after hours. Yes. And it was... I was. Uh, I replied to. It was the reply was regarding their business. It's it just that I sent it from the wrong email address. Then to me, that's not really. Uh, that's that, that's human error, and it's not something you really should be written up for. You do have a right to do other work as long as it. As long as you didn't sign a contract that prevents you from doing that, and as long as that other work doesn't conflict with your main job in terms of responsibilities, uh, but so I don't think it's a proper ri- being written up. I think you should put your position on the record yes. that you know you you weren't uh, doing work uh, for your company during mm-hmm. hours, and that the work that you're doing has nothing to do with the work that you do for the employer. Uh, and certainly if that escalates and where they impose other discipline against you or one that lets you go, we need to talk right away at that point. That number, uh, Chris, is uh, 416-216-5900 or 1-855-821-5900. We will get to John. Hi, John. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for uh, taking the call. No worries. So I am in a middle management role for my organization. It's a sales role. I have a base salary in excess of six figures. And... If I achieve 100% of the sales that the company asked me to make, I basically achieve an additional 75K. I can go above that, but at 100%, it's 75K. Okay. So last year, I made in excess of 180, and I'm being given numbers this year, which are effective the 1st of April, that are basically impossible to achieve. And I can document that. I have substantiation to prove that. What can I do in advance of um, the 1st of April to document something to the organization to say, hey, you're giving me numbers that are totally unrealistic. And I actually believe it's a way for the company to bring in fresh blood by disincenting the existing group of sales reps Interesting. the team. No, I understand, John. So if I understand correctly, the numbers, the targets, for example, in the last year were very different, which is why you were able to hit the numbers and, and, and get the bonus. This year, they've changed the targets or increased them such that there's no real way you'll make uh, those numbers. Is that, is that fair? Correct. So here's the thing. If they, because this is such a significant uh, a component of your compensation, you talked about 75K or more, that potentially now you're not going to get, or at least not all of it, because these numbers have changed, they actually don't have a right to change the compensation scheme in such a way that's going to impact you so negatively. This could be what we refer to as a constructive dismissal. It's effectively, they're, they're giving you a pay cut by, by, a, by a different name which means you have uh, the, the ability to say, I'm not going to accept that and leave and require the company to pay you severance. What I would do at this point is I would put your position to them in writing to say that here's why the numbers were not acceptable. Here's what the numbers were last year. And in my view, uh, uh, I think that the, the, if in April or whenever it is, I, I'm not going to get a fair bonus. To me, that's not appropriate. And see what happens. If, in fact, come April or whenever the target is, they say, well, now, now we have the numbers. Now we're going to confirm you're not going to get a bonus. You have a decision to make at that point whether you're going to stay 
uh, and, and take it, or you're going to leave and, and get severance. The problem with staying is that there's nothing stopping them from doing that again and again in the future and making the numbers even more unreasonable and potentially imposing other measures that are going to impact your compensation because now you've let them get away with it one time. You set precedent. Right? That you've set that precedent, exactly. So I, I think you need to put your position in writing, make it clear why you don't think it's acceptable and appropriate and you don't agree to it, and once the numbers actually uh, are there, once we know what happens, and if they don't uh, budge and they don't change their mind, you and I need to talk about it so we can decide what uh, the best course of action is for you. John, I'll give you that number again, one 821 5900 In the meantime, we'll uh, take a short break. You can email Lior some questions, Lior at employmenthour.com. And we'll be back right here on AM640 and AM900 CHML. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. You can also email Lior, answer some questions, Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll bounce over to uh, Darlene. Hello, Darlene, you have a question? Hi, it's a pleasure to speak with Lior. I've been listening to him for over a year Thank on you. the radio. Um, Okay, I have a requ- uh, question regarding my daughter, Brandy. She's the manager of an ultrasound x-ray mammogram uh, office, and she's been there 10 years since she got out of college. Um, she is being abused verbally very badly by the director of the company, who's everybody is afraid of this woman. Um, uh, she's at the point now where she's so stressed out. She sits in the car in the morning and doesn't want to go into work. Um, she has a box of um, uh, pay stubs of the last 10 years where she's never been paid overtime. Uh, everybody, She treats everybody like family that works for her. Everybody loves her. Apparently, she's the best manager that they have in any location. But it's this one director and one doctor that's the owner that treat her like garbage. But it's mostly the director. She swears at her. Um, It's terrible. She can't take it anymore. What can she do about that? Yeah, and, you know, Darlene, here's the thing. I mean, I'm going to give you the the legal answer here. But as a practical matter, I think if if it impacts her that badly, then I I don't think it's worth it. I don't think any job is, is worth having to go through that. The good news, I guess, is that there there's recourse here, uh, but the recourse does involve her leaving uh, with compensation. Uh, she doesn't have to, to take a conduct like that. No one does. There's an implied term in everyone's employment uh, agreement that they'll be treated with respect, that they're not going to work in a poison work environment, and where the employer does something to violate that implied term, the employee can treat that as a termination, as a constructive dismissal, and leave and get severance. The thing, of course, with the situation is being able to, to prove what's actually happened. Usually, usually, it's not necessarily going to be enough to, to, to have her word. So we would need some sort of corroboration, be it through other people or through some documents or something that corroborates it. So what I would want her to do if she considers leaving there with compensation is to mm-hmm. start keeping some sort of a log or a diary. Oh, where, she has. Oh, oh okay. She has well, a, then she's ahead of the game. And, and she yeah. may already then be in a situation where she could leave with compensation. And, and as a manager, 10 years, she could easily be looking at a year's pay. So she needs to, to speak to me and, and we can talk about how we potentially, if she wants, extract her from that workplace because it doesn't seem like a situation that's going to get better if she stays there. And if it's one of the owners that's doing this, there's really no one to go to. I mean, there's no one really above this person. Now, with respect to overtime, I'll I'll answer very quickly. If she's a manager, strictly speaking, she's not entitled to overtime. Managers don't have a right to overtime unless there's a contract of employment or an employment agreement that says... she's not on salary. Either way, either way. 
Uh, she, okay. she doesn't get overtime. Well, she, 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 so she gets paid hourly? Yes. Okay, so she has to get paid for all hours worked. I mean, not necessarily at an overtime rate, but if she worked 12 hours today, she should get paid for 12 hours. And you're saying that doesn't happen? Uh, that happens, yes. If she, she gets, gets paid, paid for, for the hours that hours. she works, that's fine. She doesn't have a right to get paid at an overtime rate, say time and a half. The caveat's the management part. Because she's a manager. Right. That said, she shouldn't have to take abuse like that. So my best advice, Darlene, have her give me a call. Let me sit down with her and find out some more information. At least I'll be able to tell her what her rights are. Uh, as soon as you can, Darlene, that number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred or Lior at employmenthour dot com. Got Anna. Hello, Anna. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the show. Hello. Uh, so I have a question uh, in regard to severance pay. So last uh, last Wednesday, February twenty fifth, twenty fifth, I received a written notice uh, that my employment will be terminated on March twenty fifth, two thousand fifteen. Okay. And I was escorted from the office. Uh, there is no specific cause of the dismissal, rather than the business is very slow. Uh, so my question is basically because I worked for the company from 1998 to 2006, and then uh, resigned, and uh, I was rehired from 2012 to now 2015. Okay. Uh, when rehired, I signed the agreement that states that I will be paid statutory severance pay upon termination. Right. So my question is: Am I entitled to severance uh, pay for the seven years? So I first of all, how, Anna, approximately how many people work for this company? Uh, I think around 10,000. Okay. So first of all, your minimum entitlements, okay, your minimum entitlements are uh, to, let me just do the math in my head, uh, three plus nine, 12 weeks. Okay. Your minimum entitlements are nine weeks, pay, uh, 12 weeks pay, I should say. Okay. Uh, you've received a month's notice, presumably, so they're going to pay you for a month. So mm-hmm. at, at a bare minimum, assuming your employment agreement limits you to the statutory minimums, you're entitled mm-hmm. to 12 weeks. Because, yes, for some purposes, the, the previous service, the six years that you had, uh, or, or is it, sorry, the eight years, would count for, uh, for statutory severance purposes. So you, mm-hmm. you, you have entitlements there. Uh, it's possible, though, that the employment agreement does not properly limit you to the statutory minimum. So I'd like to see it, because if mm-hmm. it doesn't, you could potentially be looking at six months compensation or more. So let's look at that. But at a minimum, mm-hmm. you're going to be looking at 12 weeks pay. So uh, remember that you have not if you've only gotten a, a month's pay, that's not even close. That's actually a violation of the Employment yeah. Standards Act. Uh, I, I had the manager position and uh, around 140K. Yeah, then, uh, so. then my, my hope for you, first of all, you, no matter what, you're owed a heck of a lot more. But my hope is that the employment agreement does not properly limit you, in which case you could easily be looking at six months, uh, maybe even as much as eight months, uh, because you're in a, such a senior position. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, what I'd want you to do is give me a call off air. I'd like to see a copy of your employment agreement and the letter that they gave you that, they gave you that gives you that notice. And Mm -hmm. on that basis, I'll tell you exactly how much you're owed. But I do really want to see that employment agreement. That's going to be the key as to whether you get uh, 12 weeks only or potentially double or or, or more than that. And I can't stress how important this next phone call you're going to make is on Monday. 1-855-821-5900. Again, 1-855-821-5900. we got another segment to go here. You'll want to give us a call. We're open to it. The Employment Hour, Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. We're talking about accommodation and what qualified to be accommodated. How about uh, when is an employee not entitled to accommodation? Good question, John. And an employee is not entitled to accommodation if the reason for accommodation is not related to the grounds in the employment, uh, sorry, in the Human Rights Code. So the Employment Human, uh, so the Human Rights Code provides for uh, the requirement to accommodate. Based 
based on several grounds. So uh, religion, disability, age, race, ethnicity, etc. So not, for example, because of someone's preference in uh, activities. So if I want to be accommodated so that I can uh, make my uh, hockey game that I play every every <laughs> night, so I need different hours, I don't have a right because the Human Rights Code doesn't protect me or give me a rights if I want to play to hockey. Shinny. Maybe right. it should because we're in Canada, yeah. but it doesn't. Uh, I also don't have a right to be accommodated if I haven't proved that I have the medical reason for being accommodated. So if I tell my employer, trust me, employer, I have this bad back. I need you to help me out and not make me carry things. Well, that has to come from a doctor, okay? It's not enough for me to say that. That does not trigger the duty on my employer to provide accommodation. So it has to be for a specific reason, as outlined in the Human Rights Code, and it has to be backed up in case of a medical issue uh, by a doctor's lo- uh, letter. So if there's some accommodation coming to you, how far does an employee have to go? Like, when is enough is enough? Yeah, and, and, and that is always, always the key question. So the employer has to accommodate. Yes, we've established that. We know that now. But how far do they have to go? What if it's not easy? What if it's going to cost them some money to provide that accommodation? If it's going to cause some other administrative problems, do they still have to do it? Well, you know, there's a lot of case law and a lot of articles that, that have been written on this topic. Generally speaking, the employer has to provide accommodation even if it's hard, okay? They have to provide accommodation even if it costs money. They have to provide accommodation even if it's going to cause uh, some sort of administrative headache. It's only where it's really, really hard. We call that the point of undue hardship. So it's going to cause undue hardship on the employer to accommodate. That's a fairly high standard. That's when the employer has to say, well, you know what? I don't have to go that far. Mm -hmm. Now, for every company, that point of undue hardship may be different. For a huge company with a lot of people, it may be easier for them to provide accommodation. They have the resources. They have the manpower. For a one- or two-man operation, it may be extremely difficult to provide accommodation because there's no one to to pick pick up the slack, and then they don't have the same financial resources. So every situation is different, but the general rule is the same. And that is that the employer has to provide accommodation, even if it's difficult, even if it's hard. It's only in extreme cases where the accommodation is going to really, really, really going to be a problem that the employer does not have to do it. So how can an employee know if, if an employer can provide accommodation but is choosing not to do so? Yeah, and, and that's always uh, very difficult to know. Uh, so in some cases, you know, we would need to sit down and find out exactly what the, what the accommodation is, uh, who the employer is, what have they done in the past, you know, if, if who's doing the job, what, what positions they have available. We may have to do some research and find out uh, what the employer is advertising online in terms of the people that they need. So it's not easy to, to find out. But usually, as long as uh, we know what the duty to accommodate, sorry, what, what the uh, obligation is on the employer from a, a procedural standpoint, if we know what the employer actually has to do, the type of accommodation, we can make an educated guess based on understanding who the employer is as to whether this is an employer that decided they just don't want to do it or if this is an employer that decided or legitimately that they cannot do it. But we'd have to sit down and look at it and, and talk about the different uh, factors that apply to each situation. Can an employer just terminate the employment of someone that needs accommodation? No, an employer cannot do that unless, and that would be very difficult to show, unless the employer can show that the termination had nothing at all to do with the, uh, the accommodation. It had nothing to do with the fact that this employee required that accommodation. So, you know, generally speaking, an employer cannot and should not terminate employment. I hate uh, for employers to say, well, Employee, I know you asked for this accommodation, but unfortunately I have to let you go. Oh, trust me, it's unrelated. It's just bad timing. Usually that's not going to pass the smell test. And in that case, that employer can be hit with a human rights violation, violation potentially of another statute, maybe the Employment Standards Act. 
in addition to the severance that they have to pay the employee. So the flip side, what does the employee do if the employer does not provide the accommodation or even if they're let go? Well, at that case, the employee has to get legal advice because, number one, the employee has to determine whether the employer violated the human rights code, whether the employee failed to accommodate when it should have or if what happened there was legitimate, and number two, to make sure that they get proper severance. Now, severance is always important, but it's especially important to someone that needs accommodation because if I uh, can't uh, work at 100%, I need to have a job that provides me with accommodation in terms of hours or responsibilities, it may mean that it's going to be very difficult for me to find another job. So that could have the effect of increasing the amount of severance that I'm owed. So very, very important for people in that situation to get legal advice so that they get their full entitlements. Give you this. Uh, give you 30 seconds to answer this one. Uh, Adam says he's given ultimatum work to either resign or be fired because the owner caught him on Skype as Monday to comply. Well, you know, that that's nonsense. Uh, ultimately, uh, the, the, Adam should not resign. There's no reason for that. If the employer chooses to terminate, that employee is entitled to uh, to severance. With that in mind, what would Adam want to do if he wants to know how much severance he's owed? He'd go to severancecalculator.com, okay. severancepaycalculator.com, uh, input how long you've worked, how old you are, and the type of job, and it's going to tell you right there online how much severance you're owed. It's a great, great tool. Our listeners know it, that we've had literally tens, tens of, of thousands, thousands yeah. Yeah, in, the, in the year and a half that we've had it. Uh, it's a great, great tool, severancepaycalculator.com. Maybe you just want to know what would happen if. We've had a couple of calls today, people that were not let go, but they're concerned that that may happen. Have a look at it. Have a look at it. Call me, or you can contact me directly from that website, severancepaycalculator.com. And terminationquestions.com if you have questions outside of show. I'm answering questions there all the time. We'll uh, return next week. In the meantime, Lior, L-I-O-R, and employmenthour.com. And to get a hold of the firm anytime you got questions, like some of our callers did today, that's easy as well. 1-855-821-5900. This has been the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML.